0: Here at Cannes, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue and sometimes a bit of literature as well. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com, at the Cannes Projects podcast on Spreaker.com, or you can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com. For as little as one euro a month, plus VAT, we're opening up a new chapter in the readings today, the classic stories for the Christeans. Yeah, we're going to be starting on The Time Machine,
1: which is a classic, classic H.G. Wells novel. It's a classic for a reason as well, because it's really, really good. I love
0: it. It's been made into a film a few times. There was a few other titles you mentioned to me, Chris, that you're a big fan of. What else is it that he's done? The Island of Dr. Moreau, The Invisible Man, The War of the Worlds, which is my favourite of them. Yeah, so that's actually, like, Uh, lots of his stuff was made into movies then. And uh, sometimes musicals, audio dramas... Chris Snead, Classic Readings. Hello, and
1: welcome to The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. So let us begin. Chapter 1, Introduction. The time traveller, for so it will be convenient to speak of him, was expounding a recondite matter to us. His grey eyes shone and twinkles and his usually pale face was flushed and animated. The fire burnt brightly, and the soft radiance of the incandescent lights in the lilies of silver caught the bubbles that flashed and passed in our glasses. Our chairs, being his patents, embraced and caressed us rather than submitted to be set upon. And there was that luxurious after-dinner atmosphere when thoughts run gracefully free of the trammels of precision, and he put it to us in this way, making the points with a lean finger, as we sat and lazily admired his earnestness over this new paradox, as we taught it, and his percundency. You must follow me carefully. I shall have to controvert one or two ideas that are almost universally accepted, The geometry, for instance, they taught you at school, is founded on a misconception. "'Is not that rather a large thing to expect us to begin upon?' said Philby, an argumentative person with red hair. "'I I do not mean to ask you to accept anything without reasonable ground for it. You will soon admit as much as I need from you. You know, of course, that a mathematical line—a line of thickness of nil— has no real existence. They taught you that. Neither has a mathematical plane. These things are mere abstractions. That is all right, said the psychologist. Nor having only length, breadth, and thickness. Can a cube have a real existence? There are objects, said Philby. Of course a solid body may exist, all real things, so most people think. But wait a moment. Can an instantaneous cube exist? Don't follow you, said Philby. Can a cube does not, that does not last for any time at all have a real existence? Philby became pensive. Clearly, the time traveller proceeded. Any real body must have an extension in four directions. It must have length, breadth, thickness, and duration. But though a natural infirmity of the flesh, which I will explain to you in a moment, we are inclined to overlook this fact. There are really four dimensions, three which we call the three planes of space, and a fourth time. Time is, however, a tendency to draw an unreal distinction between the former three dimensions and the latter because it happens that our consciousness moves intermittently in one direction along the latter from the beginning to the end of our lives. That, said a very young man, making spasmodic efforts to relight his cigar over the lamp. That, very clear indeed. Now it is very remarkable that this is so extensively overlooked, continued the time traveller with a slight accession of cheerfulness. Really, this is what is meant by the fourth dimension. Though some people who talk about the fourth dimension do not know they mean it. It is only another way of looking at time. There is no difference between time and, say, any of the three dimensions of space, except that our consciousness moves along it. But some foolish people have got hold of the wrong side of the idea, you have all heard what they have to say about this fourth dimension. I have not, said the provincial mayor. It is simply this, that space, as our mathematicians have it, is spoken of as having three dimensions, which one may call length, breadth, and thickness, and is always definable by reference to three planes, each at right angles to each other's. But some philosophical people have been asking why three dimensions particularly. Why not another direction at right angles to the other three? And have even tried to construct a four-dimensional geometry. Professor Simon Newcomb was expounding this to the New York Mathematical Society only a month or so ago. You know how on a flat surface, which has only two dimensions, we can represent a figure of three-dimensional solid. Similarly, they think that by models of three dimensions, they could represent one of four. If they could master the perspective of the thing, see? I think so, murmured the provincial mayor. And knitting his brows, he lapsed into an introspective state, his lips moving as one who repeats mystic words. Yes, I think I see it now, he said after some time, brightening in a quite transitory manner. Well, I do not mind telling you I have been at work upon this geometry of four dimensions for some time. Some of my results are curious. For instance, here is a portrait of a man at eight years old, another at 15, another at 17, another at 23, and so on. All these are Evidently, sections as it were. Three-dimensional representations of his four-dimensioned being, which is a fixed and unalterable thing. Scientific people, proceeded the time-traveller, after the pause required for proper assimilation of this, know very well that time is only a kind of space. Here is a popular scientific diagram a weather record. This line I trace with my finger shows the movement of the barometer. Yesterday it was so high. Yesterday night it fell. Then this morning it rose again. And so gently upwards to here. Surely the Mercury did not trace this line in any of the dimensions of space generally recognized. But certainly it traced such a line. And that line, therefore, we must conclude, was along the time dimension. But, said the medical man, staring hard at a coal in the fire, if time is really only a fourth dimension of space, why is it, and why has it always been, regarded as something different? And why cannot we move about in time as we move about in the other dimensions of space? The time traveller smiled. Are you sure we can move freely in space? Right and left we can go. Backwards and forwards freely enough. And men have always done so. I admit we move freely in two dimensions. But how about up and down? Gravitation limits us there. Not exactly, said the medical man. There are balloons. But before the balloons, save for the spasmodic jumping and inequalities of the surface, men had no freedom of vertical movements. Still, they could move A little up and a little down, said the medical man. Easier, far easier down than up. And you cannot move at all in time. You cannot get away from the present moment. My dear sir, that is just where you are wrong. That is just where the whole world has gone wrong. We are always getting away from the present moment. Our mental existence, which are immaterial and have no dimensions, are passing along the time dimension with a uniform velocity, from the cradle to the grave. Just as we should travel down if we began our existence 50 miles above the Earth's surface. But the great difficulty is this, interrupted the psychologist. You can move about in all directions of space, but you cannot move about in time. That is the germ of my great discovery. But you are wrong to say we cannot move about in time. For instance, if I am recalling an instant very vividly, I go back to the instant of its occurrence. I become absent-minded, as you say, and I jump back for a moment. Of course, we have no means of staying back for any length of time, or any more than a savage or an animal has of staying six feet above the ground. But a civilized man is better off than the average savage in this respect. He can go up against gravitation in a bloom, and why should he not hope to ulti- that ultimately he may be able to stop or accelerate his drift along the time dimension, or even turn about and travel the other way? Oh, this, began Philby, is all. Why not? Said the time traveller. It's against reason, said Philby. What reason? Said the time traveller. You can show black is white by argument, said Philby, but you will never convince me. Possibly not, said the time traveller, but now you begin to see the object of my investigation into the geometry of four dimensions. Long ago, I had a vague inkling of a machine. To travel through time, exclaimed the very young man, that shall travel indifferently in any direction of space and time as the driver determines. Philby um, contented himself with laughter. But I have experimental verification, said the time traveler. It would be remarkably convenient for the historian, the psychologist suggested. One might travel back and verify the accepted account of the Battle of Hastings, for instance. Do you think you would attract attention? Said the medical man. Our ancestors had no great tolerance for anachronisms. One might get one's Greek from the very lips of Homer and Plato, the young man thought. In which case they would certainly plough you for the little go. The German scholars have improved Greek so much. Then there is the future, said the very young man. Just think, one might invest all one's money, leave it to accumulate that interest,
0: and hurry on ahead. CAN projects culture, arts, nature and wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment if you'd like to contact CAN projects you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com at the Cam Projects podcast on Spreaker.com or you can also find ad-free content on Patreon.com for as little as one euro a month plus VAT. You can uh, help contribute to yeah. the Cam Project. We do need help, so check us out on either Patreon or Spreaker.com.
1: Just think, one might invest all one's money Leave it to accumulate that interest and hurry on ahead. To discover a society, said I, erected on a strictly communistic basis. Of all the wild extravagant theories, began the psychologist. So it seems to me, and so I never talked of it until... Experimental verification, cried I. You're going to verify that. The experiment, cried Philby, who was getting brain-weary. Let's see your experiment anyhow, said the psychologist. Though it's all humbug, you know. The time traveller smiled round at us. Then still smiling faintly, with his hands deep in his trouser pockets, he walked slowly out of the room. We heard his slippers shuffling down the long passage to his laboratory. The psychologist looked at us. I wonder what he's got. Some sleight of hand trick or another, said the medical man and Philby tried to tell us about a a conjurer he had seen at Burslim. But before he had finished his preface, the time-traveller came back, and Philby's anecdote collapsed. Chapter 2. The Machine The thing the time-traveller held in his hand was a glittering metallic framework, scarcely larger than a small clock, and very delicately made. There was ivory in it, and some transparent crystalline substance. And I must be explicit, for this that follows, unless his explanation is to be accepted, is an absolutely unaccountable thing. He took one of the small octagonal tables that were scattered about the room, and set it in front of the fire, with two legs on the hearth rug, and this table he put on the and on this table he placed the mechanism. Then he drew up a chair and sat down. The only other object on the table was a small shaded lamp, the bright light of which fell full upon the model. There were also perhaps a dozen candles about, two in brass candlesticks upon the mantel, and several in sconces, so that the room was brilliantly illuminated. I sat in a low armchair near the fire and I drew this forward so as to be almost between the time traveller and the fireplace. Philby sat behind him, looking over his shoulder. The medical man and the provincial mayor watched him in profile from the right, the psychologist from the left. The very young man stood behind the psychologist. We're all on alert. It appears incredible to me, that any kind of trick, however subtly conceived, and however adroitly done, could have been played upon us under these conditions. The time-traveller looked at us, and then at the mechanism. Well, said the psychologist, this little affair, said the time-traveller, resting his elbows upon the table, and pressing his hands together above the apparatus, is only a model. It is my plan for a machine to travel through time. You will notice that it looks singularly askew, and that there is an odd twinkling appearance about this bar, as though it was in some way unreal. He pointed to the part with his finger. Also here is one little white lever, and here another. The medical man got up with it out of his chair and peered into the thing. It is beautifully made, he said. It took two years to make, retorted time-traveller. Then, when we had all imitated the action of the medical man, he said, Now I want you to clearly understand that this lever being pressed over here sends the machine gliding into the future, and the other reverses this motion. This saddle represents a seat the seat of the time-traveler. Presently, I am going to press the lever, and off the machine will go. It will vanish past into the future time and disappear. Have a good look at the thing. Look at the table, too. Satisfy yourself. There is no trickery. I don't want to waste this model and then be told I am a quack. There was a minute's pause, perhaps. The psychologist seemed about to speak to me, but changed his mind. Then the time-traveller put forth his finger towards the lever. No, he said suddenly, lend me your hand. And turning to the psychologist, he took that individual's hand in his own and told him to put out his forefinger. So that it was the psychologist himself who set forth the model time machine on its interminable voyage. We all saw the lever turn. I am absolutely certain there was no trickery. There was a breath of wind, and the lamp flame jumped. One of the candles on the mantel was blown out, and the little machine suddenly swung round, became indistinct, was seen as a ghost, for a second perhaps, as an eddy, and then faintly glittering brass and ivory, and it was gone, vanished. Save for the lamp, the table was bare. Everyone was silent for a minute, then, Phil, then Philby said he was damned. The psychologist recovered from his stupor and suddenly looked under the table at the time-traveler and laughed cheerfully. Well, he said, with a reminiscence of the psychologist. Then, getting up, he went to the tobacco jar on the mantel and with his back to us began to fill his pipe. We stared at each other. Look here, said the medical man, Are you in earnest about this? Do you seriously believe that that machine has travelled into time? Certainly, said the time traveller, stooping to light a spill at the fire. Then he turned, lighted his pipe, to look at the psychologist's face. The psychologist, to show that he was not unhinged, helped himself to a cigar and tried to light it uncut. What is more... I have a big machine, nearly finished, in there, he indicated, the laboratory. And when it is put together, I mean to have a journey on my own account. You mean to say that the machine has travelled into the future, said Philby. Into the future or the past, I don't know for certain. I don't know which. After an interval, the psychologist had an inspiration. It must have gone to the past. If it has gone anywhere, he said. Why? asked the time traveller. Because I presume that it has not moved in space. And if it has travelled into the future, it would still be here all the time. Since it must have travelled through time. But, said I, if it has travelled into the past, it would have been visible when we came first into this room, and last Thursday when we were here, and the Thursday before that, and so forth. Serious objections remarked the provincial mayor with nerve impartiality turning towards the time traveller. Not a bit, said the time traveller. And to the psychologist, you think you can explain that? It's presentation below the threshold. You know, diluted presentation. Of course, said the psychologist and reassured us. That's a simple point in psychology. I should have thought of it. It's plain enough and helps the paradox delightfully. We cannot see it, nor can we appreciate this machine any more than we can the spoke of a wheel spinning or a bullet flying through the air. If it is travelling through time 50 times or 100 times faster than we are, if it gets through a minute while we get through a second, the impression it creates will of course be only 1 50th or 100th of what it would make if it were not travelling in time. That's plain enough. He passed his hand through the space in which the machine had been. You see, he said, laughing. We sat and stared at the Viking table for a minute or so. Then the time traveler asked us what we all thought of it. It sounds plausible enough tonight, said the medical man, but wait till tomorrow. Wait for the common sense of the morning. Would you like to see the time machine itself? asked the time traveler. And therewith, taking the lamp in his hand, he led the way down the hall, down the long, drafty corridor, to his lab- laboratory. I remember vividly the flickering light, his queer, broad head and silhouette, the dance of the shadows, how we all followed him, puzzled but incredulous. And how there in the laboratory we beheld a larger edition of the little mechanism, which we had seen vanish before our eyes. Parts were of nickel, parts of ivory. Parts had certainly been filed or sawn out of rock crystal. The thing was generally complete, but the twisted crystalline bars lay unfinished upon the bench, beside some sheets of drawings, and I took up one for a better look at it. Quartz, it seemed to be. Look here, said the medical man. Are you perfectly serious, or is this a trick? Like that ghost you showed us last Christmas. Upon that machine, said the time traveller, holding the lamp aloft, I intend to explore time. Is that plain? I was never more serious in my life. None of us quite know how to take it. I caught Philby's eye over the shoulder of the medical man, and he winked at me solemnly. Well, I suppose we'll be leaving it at that. My pleasure to read The Time Machine by HG Wells for the Can Projects. And I look forward to talking to you again. Slang for Lucardia.
0: And the Can Projects email is canprojects.info at gmail.com. And you'll find a link to the CAM project's website in the description. All the best.